Sometimes I read a passage from the Bible and it's like, no time has passed between when it was written and the kind of people that were in it and me. (laughs) Do you ever feel that way? Read a passage and it's like right for you or it's about you. Maybe you can see yourself easily as the prodigal son or daughter who ran away from God and then God welcomes back home. Or the Israelites, um, I feel like this is always true for me, who like turn on each other as soon as they get hungry (laughs) in the desert, it's all it took. Or you read something Jesus said and you're like, oh, he's talking right to me. That's, That's a teaching that I needed to hear. It's like we are the people in the passage. And in today's passage, there's this big story from Mark and it has someone who throws himself a huge birthday party. Interesting fact about this guy, he married his sister in law. During the party, his new wife's daughter comes in and does an apparently very seductive dance, and he promises to give her whatever she wants. She asks her mother, uh, who happens to have a grudge against another guy, and the mom tells her to ask for his head chopped off and brought on a platter, because she's really mad at him. I guess that's... Tell you what, don't make her mad. Uh, The man throwing the party kind of likes the other guy, but he did make a promise in front of a bunch of other people to give the daughter whatever she asked for, so he does it. And the finale of the story is a platter brought in with a decapitated head and presented to a girl. So we have a semi-incestuous marriage, seductive dancing, murderous revenge, and a man's head on a platter. And if you read this story and feel it, say, yeah, that, uh, that sounds about like my life right now. That one's for me. (laughs) What is your life? (laughs) Can I refer you to a therapist? (laughs) And definitely call the police. Uh, So I'm gonna assume and super hope as we get into this passage that you have no direct correlations with our characters at all. There is nothing in this that inherently reaches out to you as feeling like you and the people in our story are one and of the same. So what do we do with it? What do we do with this crazy story? Here's what I can tell you before we really start. When I read this passage again this week, and then I read it in the context of the surrounding passages, it's like it all came into focus. And that's what we've been doing in our series on these so-called Markin sandwiches. Mark does this thing where he'll interrupt a story or a teaching with another story before coming back to the thing that he was talking about. And, but when we read them together as one thing, like one sandwich, bread, meat, bread, we can focus in on it in a new way. And that's what happened for me when I was reading this particular sandwich. It like brought it all together in a way I hadn't read it before. And to be honest, I felt convicted of some things in my own faith as I read it this time. And I think you might too. So we're going to get to that in a minute, but first we're going to read the whole passage together. So let's say a prayer before we do that. God, as we approach your word today, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of each of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, it says, Then he, that's Jesus, went among the villages teaching. He called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over unclean spirits. He ordered them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and to not put on two tunics. All right, Jesus is sending the apostles out to do ministry on his behalf out in the community. It's important because they, that they couldn't take a bag or money because they were not to be paid at all for their healing or their preaching. Not that it is bad to be paid 
to preach. But in this case, let's not overread our text. In this case, they were not supposed to get money to preach. They can't even, it says they can't take two tunics, which I was like, that's a weird rule. But when you read about it, the second tunic was to keep them warm at night. So why couldn't they take two? Because Jesus wanted them to trust that someone would welcome them into their home each night, that they would never be left to sleep on the street. Verse 10, he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. In other words, if you commit to stay with one person, don't move to another house because you got a better offer. Take the first offer it's given to you. True, that's what he was saying. Verse 11, if any place will not welcome you and they refuse to hear you, as you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. Right, that shaking off the dust on your feet, that was a sign used by pious Jews. And it was meant to sort of brush off any defilement that might have clung to you from being around people who were sinners or unrighteous. It's like saying, I'm not with those guys. Hospitality and welcome, really, really important. For the community at this time, it was a critical value for holiness. So to not welcome in the apostles as they traveled would have been a really big deal. So like brush it off and go on to the next home. Verse 12, they went out and proclaimed all that should repent. They cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and cured them. So the apostles go out and they do the ministry of Jesus. But let's not forget who the apostles were. They're this ragtag group and they're sent out to do this important work. But every step of the way until now, they've misunderstood Jesus. They didn't really understand who he was or what he was doing. They mess it up more than they get it right. Jesus sends them out to represent him in the world. That to me sounds a lot like the church. That gives me some hope. Now, Mark's gonna pivot right in the middle of the story. The apostles have been sent out and Mark says, Here's a story, verse 14. King Herod heard of it, for Jesus' name had become known. And some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead. And for this reason, these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah. Others said, it is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. There's a lot of speculation about who Jesus was at this point. No one was entirely sure, but Herod, having heard what Jesus could do, gets a little scared that maybe this person who he beheaded has somehow come back from the dead and is now roaming the streets doing ministry, which would have terrified him, rightfully so. Then we have this flashback. We're almost in Herod's head remembering what happened. For Herod himself, verse 17, had sent men who arrested John, bound him, and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. Problematic, yes. Verse 18, for John had been telling Herod, it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge, a heck of a grudge against him and wanted to kill him, but she could not for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and a holy man and he protected him. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his courtiers and officials and leaders of Galilee. And when his daughter Herodias came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guest. And the king said to the girl, ask me for whatever you wish. 
and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, Where, whatever you ask of me, I will give you even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? And she replied, the head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was deeply grieved. Yet out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. Immediately, the king sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison, brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. What a story. What a story we have in the Gospel of Mark. And then Mark casually goes back to the bread of the sandwich that started this whole thing. Verse 30, the apostles gathered around Jesus, told him all they had done and taught. And he said to them, come away to a deserted place all by yourselves and rest a while. For many were coming and going and they had no leisure even to eat. All right, so the story of John the Baptist. It's a stretch for us. It's a stretch for us to apply that to our lives when it's just all on its own. But in the context of this sandwich and in the context of Mark's community and what their lives were like when this was written, it becomes so much easier for us to understand and more convicting for us as modern American Christians. So to understand this more fully, we're going to back up a little. Why would Mark include this story about John the Baptist at all? It's a really long story. It's actually the longest like independent little story like that in Mark. It's also one of the only stories where Jesus doesn't appear at all. In that meat of the sandwich, it's not about Jesus, it's about John the Baptist. So why take so much time? He could have just said John had been beheaded. Why take so much time with that story? Because the John the Baptist story is actually about Jesus too. And it's about the early church. Mark is not only doing a flashback to what happened to John the Baptist here, He's alluding to a flash forward of what will happen to Jesus. For both John the Baptist and for Jesus, there's these rulers who would prefer to spare their lives. There's crowds who are demanding something else. And for both of them, they'll end up at their death with a ruler who becomes sort of this unwilling actor in their murder. John the Baptist preaches about God and it cost him his life. Jesus preaches as the son of God and it will cost him his life. And then Mark pivots back to the apostles. And you can almost feel like he's looking at, they're talking about John the Baptist, they get about Jesus, who he is, and then he looks back at the apostles who have been sent out to do what? To preach about God, to do what the others had done in the story, like John the Baptist. So for some of the apostles and for those in the early church, they too would talk about God and for they too, it would cost them their lives. Now for us, we read that and we're like, oh, that's horrible. That's horrible, right? To be killed for your faith. But for the original community in Mark, this wasn't horrible. This was a word of comfort and hope. Why? Because they were already being killed for their faith. In this community that Mark wrote to at this time, that was a given. There was a Roman historian who lived at that time. His name was Tacitus. And he wrote this in a history report. This is not in our Bible. This is in a history book. 
It said, therefore, to scotch the rumor that a great fire in Rome was by imperial order, Nero substituted as culprits and punished with the utmost exquisite cruelty, a class loathed for their abominations, whom they called Christians. Accordingly, arrest was made of those who confessed to being Christians. And next, on their disclosures, vast numbers were convicted. Every sort of derision added to their deaths. This gets a little violent. They were wrapped in the skins of wild beasts and dismembered by dogs. Others were nailed to crosses. Others, when daylight failed, were set afire to serve as lamps by night. This was the world of the early Christians in Mark's time. They were already being killed and tortured for their faith. That much was a given. So to be reminded that they were in the community of someone like John the Baptist, that they were in the same line of Jesus Christ whom they worshiped and served would have been a comfort to them, maybe even hope that what they were doing was not in vain and not something that hadn't already been done too. Here's why that's hard for us to connect with. We live in a country here, right, with religious freedom and protection that were hard fought and sacrificed for and then handed to us. We don't need to worry too much about losing our lives for our faith of being dismembered or tortured. But this is also why not only is it hard for us to connect with, this will convict you if you let it. Perhaps in our safety to worship as we please as Americans, we've gotten too comfortable what if we, in fact, have become so comfortable as Christians because we don't have to worry about being like burned at the stake that we've started to think somehow that our comfort was the point of following Jesus, that the whole point in following Jesus is to be comfortable and to have all of our needs met, that we started to think that being a Christian should make our lives easier and help us to get what we want. But when Jesus called people to follow him, he asked them to do hard and uncomfortable and costly things. The apostles had to leave behind all their possessions and rely on the hospitality of strangers. A rich young man came to Jesus and said he wanted to follow him. And he said, what did Jesus tell him first? I need you to sell everything you have and give all your money to the poor. And then you can follow me. Another was told if he followed Jesus, he'd have no place to sleep at night and should just get used to living on the street. Another came and said if he wanted to follow Jesus, first he wanted to bury his father. And Jesus said, come and follow me now before you do that. And of course, in the ultimate cost, John the Baptist and some of the apostles and Jesus himself would lose their lives for the sake of the gospel. Now, everyone who followed Jesus didn't have to do all that. Not everyone had to like sell everything they own and give the money to the poor, give up their homes, leave behind their families, risk their lives, but it did cost them something. I don't know what the cost of following Jesus will be for you, but I do know this. Real faith will cost you something. Real faith will always cost you something. It's not all or nothing. It's not martyrdom like Mark's community knew or complete comfort and easy living the way most of us have it now. There are all kinds of things there in the middle that Jesus might be calling you today to set down so that you can really follow him. Because if it's not costing you anything, have you really given your life over to following Jesus? Now, quick pause and listen. 
because I don't want to be misunderstood. I'm not saying that Christianity is like under attack in our country and needs you to go protect it. It's not, not in our country at least, not the way it was in Mark's time. I'm also not doing one of those, kids these days have it so easy, diatribes. They do not. They do not. Our kids do have the freedom of expressing their faith and in a lot of different ways, but they're also being raised in a world that's really hard with gun violence and a warming planet and pockets of the church that say hateful things and an uncertain future that makes faith for them more difficult to accept than it's been for any of us. So that's not what I'm saying here. What I am saying is I'm asking you to consider the question that I know convicted me this week. If your faith isn't costing you something, are you really following Jesus? Because true faith has a cost. Even here in a country where we have the safety that Mark's community could never have imagined for people of faith. Again, I don't know specifically what this will look like for you. I just know it'll be something. We heard from a friend this week of ours from seminary And she had to do a costly thing this week to follow Jesus. She's a pastor and she's been serving in a denomination that does not support LGBTQ individuals they've made a statement against. And after a lot of thought and prayer and what she believes about Jesus and the Bible and inclusion, she had to make a hard decision this week and set aside her ordination in that church. And there's a real cost to that, you know, personally and professionally and for income for her family in making that decision. But that for her, was a cost of following Jesus. So what is Jesus asking you to do as you follow him? What are you being asked to lay down or to set aside? What are you being asked to do even if it feels hard or impossible? Because Jesus did not say, and gosh, I wish he had. Jesus did not say, I want you to be comfortable all the time. That would be a great scripture. I put that on every pillow in my house. It's not what he says. Jesus did not say, don't let your faith be an inconvenience. Do everything else first. And then if you've got some time left over, I'll take that. Jesus did not say you should have everything you want all the time. Following Jesus has a cost. And I know that's hard, but here's the upside. If you're gonna be a part of something, Make it something real. If you're going to say you follow Jesus, make that real in your life. And he will change you. And through the immeasurable grace of God, today I wonder what could Jesus do in your life if you truly did that? If truly, no matter the cost, you gave it all over to him and followed him. We're going to stop there for this morning. We'll pick up next week with our next Mark and Sandwich. Let's say a word of prayer. God, I pray for each person here this morning, and God, we know we like to be comfortable, and there's no sin in that, but God, help us to set our comfort aside that we could follow you. Help us to remember that in the history of our faith, there are people that had to give their very lives, everything they cared about, to profess their faith. And we stand in a position of privilege to not have to do that, but God, help us to not be blind to the things that we are called to set aside, to lay down, to give up, that our faith could be real. And God, bless us as we do that, knowing when we have the courage to follow you, you will take us places we could never.